0: Well, welcome again to Door Creek. My name's Mark. If you're a guest here, maybe you're visiting family or friends from out of town or maybe just around the corner, we're glad that you're here. And for the Door Creek family, thanks for coming to this service. We literally were standing room only the last two hours, so thanks for making room for lots of visitors. So um, today we want to go back to the very first Easter and look at the Easter message. We're going to notice how it spread. How it traveled from literally from heaven to earth, from the angels to the women, from the women to the disciples, from the guards to the religious leadership, to places in Jerusalem, the little different quarters of the city, to the villages, and then to beyond. And we note that we're still talking about that Easter story some 2,000 years later. Pretty incredible. When you think about the brevity of a news cycle, it was just A week ago, Tiger won the Masters, perhaps the greatest comeback in sports history. Man, that was a short news cycle because on Monday, what happened? It was the fire in Paris at Notre Dame Cathedral, that cathedral that dates back to the beginnings of 1163, over 850 years of history there. This landmark, right, visited twice as much as the Eiffel Tower, I've been there been to services there. My parents honeymooned in Paris, coming from Switzerland. Here's this iconic picture of them in the fall, October of 1948. And and yet, you know, that that story was quickly enveloped. And then we were talking about the Mueller report. And then this morning we woke up and what did we hear? Bombings in Sri Lanka. Three hotels, three churches, 140 plus dead, 500 wounded. And if we think about these kinds of stories, We understand that, wow, especially in our day with the news and social media and our smartphones, it is just blitzing. And we're gonna see that movement way before social media, but we're also gonna understand the dynamic of this story that today is bringing people together around the world, millions of Christians together to celebrate the fact of the resurrection. Maybe you believe that? Maybe you don't believe that. What we're going to do today is dig into the eyewitness account that Matthew, one of Jesus' followers, gives us in his gospel, which is the first gospel of the New Testament. So, Matthew 28, the text is up on the screen, but if you've got a phone and want to follow along on your phone or your Bible, Matthew 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So Sabbath was Saturday, first day of the week, Sunday. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So Matthew 28 is picking up the accounts of that Sunday morning, first Easter, If you're new to the story, let me just backtrack a few days. It was on Thursday that Jesus had the Last Supper. They were celebrating the great Jewish feast that our friends are still celebrating today, Passover, commemorating God's deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt as he delivered them from Pharaoh through the Red Sea. That was Thursday night, the same night that Judas betrayed him, that Peter denied him. It was the night where he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and to ask the Father, if there's any other way, please take this cup, take the cross away from me. Let, let me go with plan B, but not my will, but yours be done. He was in this garden that Judas led the religious leaders and the temple guards who were with him to arrest him. They took him back to Caiaphas, the high priest's house. They set up this kangaroo court. It was a bogus trial. It was a great injustice. The innocent son of God was found guilty, guilty of all things of blasphemy, of claiming to be the very thing he was and is, the son of God. They beat him. They mock him, put a crown of thorns in his head, put this mock robe of purple linen around his shoulders, hailing him as king. He's flogged 39 times. He's taken to Pilate so that they could get permission to execute him. Pilate washes his hands, says, his blood isn't on my hands. You do with him what you want to do. So Friday morning at 9 o'clock, he's nailed to the cross. At noon, there was darkness that covered the land until 3 when he breathed his last after saying, it is finished, literally, paid in full. Joseph of Arimathea, secret follower of Jesus, goes to Pilate right after his death that was certified by this professional executioner, the guard who's coming to break his legs as he had just done to the the thieves that were crucified on either side of him, but he'd already died. so Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate, can I give him a proper burial? I've got a tomb, I'd like to bury him. Pilate gives him permission. Joseph and his friend Nicodemus we're told, take 75 pounds of spices, and they begin the burial preparation in accordance with Jewish custom. Now, it's Friday. That means it's the Sabbath that starts at sundown. They couldn't finish the job, but they roll the stone over the entrance of the tomb. On Saturday, we're told that the religious leaders are afraid that maybe somebody's going to come and steal the body. So they go back to the To Pilate and asked that he would post a guard, and that was granted. A guard is posted. They actually put a seal over the stone so that no one could get in, no one could get out. Matthew 28, what we just read, happens on the first day, Sunday morning. There was one clear thing on the women's to-do list, and it was to show their last act of devotion to Christ by giving him that proper burial that Joseph and Nicodemus hadn't quite finished in the late sun hours of the Sabbath Eve, which would be Friday. That's what they're they're there for. They had no expectation that they would find an empty tomb. They weren't even thinking about how they'd get into the tomb. But when they come to the tomb, what do they see? The stone rolled back and an angel sitting on top of it. I don't know, but I've just got this sense that the angel was kind of kicking back like this. Like, hey, guys, glad you're here. Check it out. He is risen just as he said. The very first thing he says to the women is actually the most repeated command in all the Bible. Do not be afraid. Well, yeah, they were terrified, we know that the Roman soldiers, trained soldiers, shook as it were like dead men. I've seen a guy shake like a dead man once. His name was Jim Surfling. He was a freshman on our floor. I was a, a resident assistant at Bethel College, 17 freshman. And Yukon Jack is what we call Jim. He was from Alaska. He was 6'5". And uh, we had this all-night movie night that started with The Sound of Music and ended with Hitchcock's movie Psycho. I know, and so if you know that movie, there's this horrible scene that happens in the shower. So I thought, as I walked into the townhouse and realized I got home before Jim, that I am gonna scare the snot out of Jim Surfling. So where do you think I went? Of course, to the bathroom, and I'm hiding behind the corner, just waiting for him to come and uh, brush his teeth, whatever. And I'm just gonna get him in the bath. Well, he he's so tired, he just turns right in the bed. So I am not to be denied. I, I, you know, slip out of the bathroom, down the hallway, and I know his bedroom door is right to the right. I peek, and I notice it's just kind of ajar. I have no idea what he's doing on the other side. But here was my plan, and this is what I did. I grabbed my fingernails on that hollow door, and I just scratched him down the door and just screamed as loud as I could. Here's what I found on the other side. Jim was seated in his bed, and he was just pulling up his covers like this. And when I screamed, he just grabbed his covers like this, and he went ah ah ah! He was so afraid. I freaked out, ran out of the ran out of the room. (laughs) That's what it means to shake like a dead man. They were frightened; these trained warriors. We can imagine the women were frightened, deep fears over what they had just experienced the crucifixion of their hope, the promised Messiah. Their hopes were dashed. Their faith was was waning. There was great disillusionment. And they were afraid. And the angel says, fear not. He's risen just as he said. They didn't say he's missing. They didn't say his body is stolen. They didn't say, man, we don't know what happened. No, he's risen just as he said. And Jesus said it. Matthew 16, 21 gives us the account Repeatedly, Jesus said things like this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, and that he must be killed. And here it is, on the third day, be what? Raised to life. Jesus predicted that. The religious leaders knew it because in, in Matthew 27, on that Saturday morning, here's what they said to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, speaking to Jesus, said, after three days, I will rise again. So please let us post a guard. Give us a guard. Seal the tomb. So the angel said, he's risen, just as he said, but don't take my word for it. Come and see where he lay. And all that was left from the other accounts were the grave clothes. The body was gone. Now, we need to remember that as the angels bring the message of God, that's what an angel means, a messenger. When they bring the, the message of Easter to the women, that's a very profound thing. We don't get it in our day. But if we travel back 2,000 years ago, first century, we'd understand that a woman's testimony was not admissible in the court of Jewish law. In other words, if the disciples are just making this up, trying wishing so hard for it to be true the last thing they would do is write the women into the script it wouldn't jive with history of the jewish people in the first century so the women are on the move verse 8 so the women hurried away from the tomb afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee up north. There they will see me. So the Easter message is bringing out all kinds of emotions that we'll see here in the story. Here we're told they had fear, and they are also filled with fear. With joy, other emotions will be humble worship. We see that here: doubt, shock, and even anger. The religious leaders, but fear and joy aren't the typical things we would say happen simultaneously in our life. It's a it's a contradiction in terms. It's what we call an oxymoron. We've got lots of those: jumbo shrimp, numb sensation. Freezer burn, crash landing. Those are oxymorons. Those two things don't go together. Fear filled with joy. But that was their reality. Fear that the worst thing that could have happened is at the end of this cruel weekend that somebody could have snatched Jesus' body, desecrated it. Wouldn't have a chance to give Jesus a proper burial. Yet filled with joy. Maybe the message is true That he is alive, just as he said. And before they knew it, everything changed. They were greeted by Jesus as they were running back to the upper room to tell the disciples. And in their running, they stopped dead in their tracks and they fell in worship, taking hold of Jesus' resurrected body, acknowledging that he is their risen Savior, not just crucified Savior. And so that morning, it's easy to say, they had one thing on their to-do list and there was one final act of devotion that they wanted to do, care for Jesus' body one last time. And what they found, though, is Jesus meeting them in their great need and beautifully caring for them and giving them great unspeakable joy in the midst of it all. So like a relay race, the baton of the Easter message is going from heaven the angel brings it to earth he hands it off to the women who are running to tell the disciples but verse 11 says there's somebody else that grabs the message and they too are running the guards verse 11 while the women were on their way some of the guards went into the city and reported the chief priests everything that had happened so what would that be the earthquake the angel who we are told rolls back the stone they probably did not tell the part of them shaking in their boots and being like dead men and who knows what they did to their uniform. Probably didn't share that part, but they've shared about, hey, all we got left is an empty tomb tomb with some grave clothes in it. That's the everything that they would have reported. So, corroborating exactly the eyewitness account of the women, except for the part where they meet the resurrected Christ. So, they reported, verse 11, everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They paid them off. This is hush money, telling them, You are to say, here's the storyline. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, to Pilate, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day, Matthew writes. And what we see here in this kind of cover-up, we can call it Easter gate before there was a gate. This is Easter gate is the plan presupposes the body is missing, right? If it's not missing, the problem is a quick fix. Produce the body, end of story. A- and End of controversy. End of the myth, the superstition. Produce the body. They couldn't produce the body. So it assumes the body is gone. The second thing is, it shows us here is their great desperation. So just think it through logically. All right, guys, here's what we want to do, and here's a lot of shekels to make sure you get the story right. I want you to tell people that while you were sleeping, the disciples stole the body. Oh, that's interesting. So how did you know it was the disciples if you were sleeping? And if you knew it was the disciples that stole the body, like, you guys are trained soldiers. They're like fishermen, tax collectors. These, these aren't rough guys. Why did not you just grab them? Get the body, put it back where it belongs. Oh, and by the way, we have every reason to believe that these aren't just the temple guards that arrest Jesus in the garden. These are very likely Roman soldiers, which means falling asleep on your post is punishable by, it's game over. You don't do that. Like, you're not going to admit that as a Roman soldier, right? And we see the desperation of religious leaders, they're throwing money at the soldiers and they got more money to throw at Pilate if need be. And yet the amazing thing is, he tells us that cover-up worked. So Matthew's writing in AD 60, Jesus dies around AD 30. So some 30 years later, he's saying, this story... This fake story is still in circulation. It still is being espoused as true by many Jewish people today. In other words, that was not the Messiah. No, 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 no. He died. That's not the Messiah. He has his followers. They're fanatics. They just stole the body. So we're following the message, moving from heaven to earth, the angels to the women to the disciples and beyond. But Jesus is making a case that goes beyond just how this quickly spread and how it continued to spread. He is making a fundamental case that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's the son of God, and that he proved it by doing what he said he was gonna do, die as a ransom for many. Jesus said, Mark ten forty five. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He said, on the third day after I've been suffered and 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 put to death, I'm going to rise from the dead. He's saying, this is the promised Savior. Jesus, Uh, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. One of the repeated phrases as you read through his 28 chapters is, and this happened to fulfill. This happened in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures, with the prophecies of old. This Jesus is the same guy the Old Testament's pointing to. And that's what he's making his case. Jesus is the promised Messiah because Paul will tell us that the resurrection is the cotter pin of our faith. It's that last Jenga piece, you know, when you're playing the game, when it all falls down. If you can pull that out and it all falls down, it's because you can prove that the resurrection is a hoax. Here's what Paul said to the church of Corinth. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. My faith. doesn't matter If he lived a perfect life, Paul says, doesn't matter if he died on the cross for our sins. If he wasn't raised on the third day, then he isn't who he said he is. He didn't do what he said he was gonna do. So he's presenting this evidence that Jesus is the promised Savior. Exhibit A, the empty tube. Exhibit B, the physical resurrection body of Christ. The women took hold of it. The disciples put their fingers that night through the nail prints of his hand and where the swords pierced him in the side. The third thing he presents is the Easter gate cover-up. And so you think, well, man, this is like an open and shut case. We've got all these eyewitnesses. In fact, you read the rest of the New Testament, you find out there's over 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus in that time period between his resurrection and when he ascends the day of Pentecost 50 days later. 500 plus people. But the amazing thing is the same evidence led to completely two different versions. We've got a hung jury. We've got a split decision. Right, So the religious leaders, they're saying it's a lie. It's a hoax. The disciples stole the body. The women, the disciples, the angel, God's messenger says he's alive just as he said. So how do you explain that some men covered up the truth, the religious leaders, to preserve their own position and power where the so-called body snatchers, his disciples, would proclaim this truth? to the point they would give up their lives for Jesus Christ. Eleven of those disciples, you realize that Judas, who betrayed him, takes his own life. But the eleven, church history goes on to tell us, all died a martyr's death. Friends, you know, it's one thing to espouse and hold to a lie. It's another thing to die for it. It just doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. So how do we explain the fact that religious leaders who are looking for the promised Savior, the Messiah, how do you account for the fact that they missed him? They said to Jesus, taunting him and mocking him on the cross. So if you're the son of God, well, then come off the cross. You saved others, man, save yourself. Well, he did something far better. Stayed on the cross. He forgave them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he rose and did something far better than get off the cross, three days later, rose from the dead. Why wouldn't the relig- religious leaders follow him? Why don't people follow him today? Because if Jesus is who He is and did what He did, then He demands total allegiance. Jesus will say, "All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. He is God's rightful ruler over all things. He came and he began the workings out of his kingdom. Little taste of it that we see. But when he comes back, all of it complete. But if he has authority over our lives, that means we need to surrender to that. And man, that is a hard, we know that. Come on. At some measure, to some degree, all of us are control freaks. We want to be in control. And submitting to Christ for the religious leaders meant they would have to relinquish all their power, all their position. And they weren't ready to do that. That was their sticking point. So what's your take on the Easter story? You going with the eyewitnesses? Or is this just more fake news? Is this a hoax? Do you believe he's alive? Some of us have actually navigated ourselves into kind of this comfortable eddy. You know what an eddy is? It's that quiet little place on the edge of a stream alongside of maybe some roaring rapids. You go, you know what? I'm not sure. But I'm really comfortable saying, he said some really good stuff. kind of like that about Jesus. Lewis says he doesn't give us that position. He doesn't give us that prerogative. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, here's Lewis's quote. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But not, let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left, us, left that open to us. He did not intend to. So what are you gonna do with Jesus? What have you done? What are you doing? Are you ready to place your faith, your trust in his perfect life, substitutionary death and powerful victory over the grave? Well, some of us answer that and go, well, man, I just don't feel that. And I want to say faith might have feelings, but at its core, it's not about feelings. Some of us think, man, I just wish I had those feelings of certainty that some of my friends, yeah, they're kind of naive, but they have it, and I wish I had it. I don't. I'm a realist. And, man, I got a boatload of doubts. I, I can't pretend to be in a place that I don't feel. No, faith isn't about that. After the resurrection, we read this about his disciples, same passage, verse 17. When they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him, but some... Doubted. I wasn't expecting that. Huh? Are you kidding me? What do you mean they doubted? Like, hello? Because it's just like mind blowing. They, d- what? They doubted. Faith actually has room for doubt. We're going to look at that next week as we start a new series, Roadblocks, Doubt. Maybe that's where you're at. Faith has room for doubt. Faith has room for mystery because it's not about understanding everything it's not about knowing everything there's a lot of things I don't understand it's called mystery one God who exists in three persons all equally God God who has eternally existed no beginning no end my brain's shorting out Jesus fully God fully man Mary's son God's son wow how does that work God is fully in control of all things and I am fully responsible for all the free choices I make. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Ah, How does that work? The Bible written by fallible men through the agency of the Holy Spirit so that we've got God's perfect recorded word for us. Preserved over the centuries. Written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages. Wow, mystery faith is only as good as its object and right now I can tell you you have faith the question is is the object of your faith is it going to last is it going to carry you through is it carrying you through some people think that their faith needs to be in the church Jesus didn't ask us to place our faith in the church God's not asking us to place our faith in Christ's followers Christians Christians there, and I'm at the front of the line, are always going to disappoint you. Jesus isn't asking us to place our faith in our moral record of doing good. We can't do the good that he's called us to. We've fallen short, all of us. He's asking us to place our faith, not in a religion, but in a person, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? There's two things that you can do today. One is to do just that, place your faith in Christ. For some of you, you've known this message for a long time. You've been putting it off. It is about control, about being in control of your life. And and really, it's it's a great, honest question to say, so how is it actually going, being in control of your life? How is that working out? And what kind of confidence you have for the hard things that you know are still ahead of you in this journey called life. To not choose to trust is actually to choose, to trust in yourself or some other God of your making. I'd encourage you to reflect on Jesus' hands. The Bible says his hands were part of creating this world out of nothing. So they're powerful hands. We see that in his miracles. But then they are emblems of his love. The only man-made thing in heaven, when you think about it, will be the nail prints in his hands. It's a scary thing to place your life and every part of your life in God's hands. But when you understand the hands that he's asking you to trust, these are powerful hands. These are loving hands. Then can meet you today and take you through whatever you're facing. And so, maybe today, for the first time in your life, you relinquish control and place your trust in Christ. It's not a magic prayer, but there are words that could express the intentions of your heart, and here's an example that may resonate, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to hear it, and then later this morning to pray that prayer, to receive Christ. Relationship with Christ that will forever change your life. Dear God, forgive me for thinking I'm good enough to earn a relationship with you. Forgive me for ignoring you. I ask you to forgive me for all I've done and left undone. I believe that Jesus is your Son who died on the cross for my sin. I'm trusting in Him and I surrender my life to His leading. Give me your Holy Spirit. And help me to be your devoted follower who changes the world with your love. Some of you honestly are just new to this. You don't even know why you're here today, but God does. And you're going, oh, 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 hold on, man. I'm just catching up with this stuff. And so I, I would say, investigate the claims of Christ. So I just heard the number one seller on Amazon this week. You know what it is? The Mueller report. 400 plus pages. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. You got a lot of free time. But why are people ordering the Mueller report? They want to investigate it for themselves. So here you are, really comfortable that I don't need Christ, but you actually never actually investigated the claims of Christ that are recorded in documents that come out of the first century and the manuscript evidence we have for the New Testament far surpasses any other ancient document and you never read it. So here's my challenge. We got paperback Bibles on the round tables on your way out. Grab a Bible on us and make a beeline to the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest Gospel. It'll take you less than an hour to read it. Probably read it a couple times. And just keep your eyes on Jesus. Investigate who Christ is for yourself. Don't let your other friends, don't let your professors, don't let what you think investigate Christ for yourself. And man, if you're in town here, come back next week as we hit the roadblock called doubt. So for those of us who are Christ followers, we need to let the message of Easter move us deeper joy deeper love and the longer you've been a Christian here's what I can tell you it's just like la de da Easter he's alive and it's like we're losing it we become so accustomed to it that we have lost the wonder the power, the mystery, the centerpiece, the cotterpin of our faith. This is a game changer. This is what's giving us hope in the middle of the story when we can't see around life's corner and it's hard right now. We know the end of the story. Deeper hope, deeper joy, deeper confidence that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in my life. So I can live for Christ and live like Christ and forgive that person that's so hard to forgive and grace the people that God's put in my life with more joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all the rest of the fruit of the spirit that this world is just longing for, that we go deeper, that we wouldn't sentimentalize any part of our faith, that we come to grips with the horror of Good Friday and the power of the resurrection and that we would live in the reality of that lives that honor him. And if we're going to do that, then we too grab that baton and we go with the message. We live it and we share it from Madison to Mongolia to people in our home, the hardest place to live it and share it kids in your stu- students in your schools a scary place so too is work so to our neighborhood but we go with the message not beating people up I love what Madeline Langle says in this quote we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it we know the source. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he said to his church, let your lights shine in such a way before men and women that they see your good works and glorify and honor God, your father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you grant f- faith, that you give new life, resurrection life, through your Holy Spirit, in accordance with the power of your living word, that you would grow our confidence in you, that you would restore again the joy of our salvation, the wonder of Easter. And so hear now those who would call out to you. And for those of you who are ready to just give your life to Christ silently, in your heart of hearts, repeat after me. Dear God, forgive me for thinking I'm good enough to earn a relationship with you. I ask you to forgive me for all I've done and left undone. Jesus, I believe you're God's son who died on the cross for my sin. I'm placing my trust in you alone and I'm surrendering my life to your leadership. Give me your spirit and help me be your devoted follower who changes the world with your love. And Lord, fill your church with resurrection life, joy, and hope as we are moved and move with the message, pointing others to you. God of all hope, fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with Easter resurrection hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's people said Amen